The church at Ross Bridge is a bridge to belonging, believing, and becoming in Jesus Christ. We hope you enjoyed this message and visit our website at rossbridge.church. Good morning again, friends. Um, I'd like to take just a personal moment to uh, acknowledge my absence last Sunday. Last Sunday afternoon, we had a beautiful service of remembrance of our saints who have passed on before us and equipped some young saints, our third grade students. And I was conspicuously absent. Um, about an hour before that service began, um, I decided that I would join my wife. Uh, she had taken our daughter, Amelia, uh, to Children's Hospital, the emergency room. She was exhibiting some very troubling neurological symptoms, and they brought in some neurologists and did some testing. We ended up spending a few days there. Uh, we're very grateful to report that she's okay, um, and it was hopefully just a one-time thing. But that explains my absence. Um, I don't care what Pastor John says. I was not in Tunica. Um, so um, I am glad that I made that decision as much as I hated being away from our church family uh, in that moment. So thank you for your prayers and expressions of concern, those of you that were aware this week. Uh, may we pray. God, today we ask that it would be your spirit that speaks uh, deeper than any human voice, beyond what any human wisdom could provide, because we want to be a church that is filled by your spirit. It's in Christ's name we pray. Amen. Well, here's a question for you as we begin worship uh, today or begin the sermon. Why do you attend church? Obviously, you're here, but stop and think about your motivation for that for just a moment. I imagine there's all kinds of reasons. Some of you would say, well, it's just a habit. I've always gone to church on Sundays, and so when I get up, it's just kind of a, a significant portion of my weekly calendar. Or maybe you're here because your parents forced you. I grew up that way. My parents drug me to church. And I told them, you know, if I didn't feel like going, it didn't do any good. As you can see, I proved them right. Um, maybe you have deep friendships here at the church, and so you come to church because these are your people. You know, they care about you, and, and you share life with them. Some people come to church because of a negative motivator. They will feel guilty if they don't. So they're not here really by choice, but rather by obligation. Some people feel really passionate about the church's impact beyond its walls. It's a humanitarian kind of mission for them, and they really like being a part of that. Maybe some of you just like Edie's coffee. Maybe it's the best cup of coffee you'll have this week. It's really good locally roasted coffee from here in Birmingham. Some people experience inspiration from music. They really like being a room filled with singing and music, and that lifts their spirits. Other people say, look, I need some hope from God, from the Bible, from Scripture, and I come to receive a word of clarity and inspiration in a sermon. Some people say, look, I've, for me, it's a place of serving. I have a role that I fulfill at the church, and it brings me great joy to bring that role, serve others in Jesus' name. For others, though, it's also sometimes an escape to a healthy place from a toxic place. It's a place where you walk through the doors and you feel recognized and loved and genuinely accepted. And not everybody has that in their place of home or work. One of my preaching professors said that it's very, very important, he said in his class, that when you say the benediction, the last spoken words in the worship service, whether it's a scripture or a prayer or just a blessing, he said, make sure you smile. He said, years ago, I had a young adult who was visiting our church, and I kept seeing them come back again and again and again. And one day when she was leaving, she stopped me in the receiving line and said, I want to thank you for always smiling when you close the service. The reason I keep coming back is because there are some weeks in my life that you're the only smile that I receive. 
all kinds of reasons why somebody might attend church. Well, according to the New Testament, it's of course not just a building location that we attend, but it's this living, breathing organism of the presence of God in the world. Here's a definition of church, not the only one, but here's one based on the New Testament. A church is a baptized community of God's people which trusts in Jesus and is filled, guided, and gifted by the Holy Spirit to embody Jesus' ministry in the world. There is in the church a rite of initiation called baptism. It is a sacrament, a means of God's grace. It exists as both water baptism as a public ritual as well as a baptism of the heart when people place their faith in Christ. The church is made up of those who become a part of God's covenant called the church. We are the adopted children of Israel, so to speak. And we place our faith in Jesus, and then we trust that Jesus, who breathed His Spirit on His disciples, breathes that same Spirit on us. And we become filled with that otherworldly power, and we are given guidance and wisdom to move into the world, and we are gifted by the Holy Spirit for the purpose of sharing the ministry of Jesus on earth now, after Jesus has ascended into heaven. The church continues the ministry of Jesus, meeting the spiritual and physical needs and the hurting in the world. Well, that is a grand vision of what church is. God is actually using you and me as one local tiny expression of a worldwide movement of billions of people to represent God on earth and to continue ministries of mercy and compassion and good news, sharing the good news on earth. And when I go back and think about the early days of Christianity, I almost have to chuckle at how grand that vision is compared to how humble the beginnings were. Think with me just for a moment about God's plan to save the world. The church in the New Testament begins without their central human leader, Jesus. He has ascended into heaven and pours out the invisible power of God through the Holy Spirit. There's just a handful of them. They're extremely small. They're mostly uneducated and rather unsophisticated people. They don't really have any resources or money. They don't have land. They don't have buildings. They don't have hard assets or liquid assets of any kind. They're not selling a product to be able to generate income. They don't really have any political influence, no military power. They don't really have any strong allies outside of the church. They place their faith and say they are guided by a God that nobody else can see. And that God says to them, you know, trust me, even though bad things will happen to you, Trust me, even though your personal dreams for fulfillment and ease and comfort may not be fulfilled. The primary sales pitch, to use very coarse language, of the New Testament church is simply give your own life away in the pattern that Jesus the Messiah gave His life away, and then there'll be a great exchange where He will give you His life in place of yours, and His life will become alive in you, will be resurrected in you. It is an extremely humbling under-resourced movement. No, no scholar of organizational development and leadership and business growth would ever look at the church and say, now that's a plan that'll work. Early Christians only have a story to tell of Jesus Christ crucified and risen, and then the evidence of how that story has changed their lives, and that is God's strategy to save the world. I want to admit to you I think from a human point of view, from a strictly human point of view, 
The church is so conceptually flawed to be a successful organization. Only God can make it work. And 2,000 years later, you and I are living proof of that. You're here. I'm here. You just saw on that video the impact this singular congregation is making beyond our walls locally and even in Ecuador. Well, in our scripture today, the Apostle Paul is painting a picture of a healthy church, of a way that that body of Christ in the world should kind of come alive and represent God in the world and continue the ministry of Jesus. We began in 1 Corinthians 12, verses 12 and 13. Paul will say, Christ is just like the human body. A body is a unit and has many parts. And all the parts of the body are one body, even though there are many. We were all baptized by one spirit into one body, whether Jew or Greek, slave or free, and we were all given one spirit to drink. Now Paul's writing this letter. We're kind of opening their mail today because Paul wrote this letter not just to be printed into a book we call a Bible. It was actually a letter to a congregation, maybe not too much unlike our own. On Paul's second missionary journey around the year 50 A.D., give or take a year or two, Paul, in this map of the ancient Mediterranean world, you can see that Paul began down in Jerusalem in the bottom right-hand side, and he traveled up through modern-day Syria and made his way over across modern-day Turkey into modern-day Greece. And when he was on his way back down toward Jerusalem, he stopped where that red arrow is pointing at a major port city, a cosmopolitan, bustling, diverse city called Corinth. Now, here are some ruins of Corinth. I always like to show ruins occasionally because I want you to see that this is not just something that exists in theory. This is actually a community. These were people who lived and lived lives perhaps not that different than ours. Well, the Apostle Paul, depicted here by one of my favorite Spanish artists who's carrying the, the scriptures that he's writing in his left hand and has the sword that he will die by, representing his martyrdom in his right hand. Paul has learned that this congregation that he helped start is facing some difficulty. Now, the church at Corinth is not facing some of the same difficulties of some of the other churches, which were really having trouble about how Gentiles and Jews can exist as one body in the same church. That's not so much the problem here at Corinth. Corinth has other issues. They are, in the words of the great American theologian Cameron Carden, a hot mess. And when you read through it, you can see why. There is all kinds of like weird stuff going on interpersonally, physically, with people in the church. It's really, really bizarre stuff that is embarrassing even to read about today. Well, Paul hears what's troubling him is not just these kind of issues of kind of pagan immorality, but really that there are different tribes within the church, different factions within the church. And they're beginning to kind of get competitive with one another. Because one group's saying, well, you know, I was baptized by Paul, and he founded this church. Who baptized you? Well, I may not have been baptized by Paul, but I got baptized by Apollos, another gifted teacher here at our church in Corinth. Another said, well, don't forget us, because we got baptized by Cephas. Maybe the last will be first. You know, they began to kind of form these factions. And across 16 chapters, Paul wants to say to them, look, one of the primary recognizable characteristics of Christians in a church is unity. You've got to stop placing your identity in a different messenger who may have brought you into the fold. Recognize the one who the message is about. That's who you find your unity. Jesus Christ, crucified and risen. So Paul wants to say to them, the church is a community that experiences total unity. 
but he simultaneously points out that the church values the uniqueness and individual contributions of every single person. Listen to this at the beginning of the chapter, prior to verses 12 and 13. Verses 4, 5, and 6, he says, There are different spiritual gifts, but the same Spirit. And there are different ministries, the same Lord. And there are different activities, but the same God, who produces all of them in everyone. That is a loaded statement by Paul. By the power of God at work in a congregation, there are different gifts. He recognizes they come from the Spirit, from Jesus our Lord, from God the Father. And they're not just for those who go to Bible study on Tuesdays. They're not just for those who attended a seminary or Bible training of some kind. Therefore, everyone in verse 6. And what Paul wants to say is, look, in the church you actually find this amazing culture where there is complete unity and oneness of purpose and vision, yet completely individualized uniqueness in how that comes about. For Christians, our identity is not erased in the church. Our gifts are not repressed or replaced. By the power of God, they're actually enhanced. How? Because the source of it is not our own skill or preferences. It's actually the otherworldly presence of the Holy Spirit coming alive, being resurrected within us. And the final dynamic that emerges in verse 7 is, a demonstration of the Spirit is given to each person for the common good. I think that statement for the common good is what makes Christianity unique in this context. This is not like the PTO. This is not like another volunteer organization. If it's for the common good, there are implications to that. That means that things that this person is good at, which are totally different than the things that this person is good at, and totally different than that person and 300 others, are brought into complete harmony. Not because we're the most polite people in the world. Not because we're really cooperative, gracious people. But because if it's a Holy Spirit-filled and led church, the Holy Spirit brings that sense of harmony of diversity into the unity of Christ's body. What does this mean? It means that in the church, a healthy church, there is no room for control or personal ego. Years ago, I was serving another church, and in this particular church, every, I think, Tuesday, there was a retired women's Bible study, like clockwork. Rain, snow, sleep, shine, they were there. About 10 o'clock in the morning. Well, that particular week, I remember sitting in my office and we were having some work done in the church. And they were having to move some tables out of a room and off of a hallway to paint the wall and replace some carpet. And well, the room that the Bible study was going to meet in was still free. And I was sitting at my desk and I heard the office door kind of swing open loudly. And our office manager was seated there. And I heard somebody who I recognized as a church member say, who moved the oak table? No good morning. No, hey, I have a question. I'm hoping you can help me figure something out. Who moved the oak table? And I could tell our office manager was caught a little bit off guard and said, well, it's still there, but we had to move it around so that they could do the work. Well, why weren't we notified of this? Well, your room is still available. Uh, what do you use the table for? 
I have been setting out coffee and refreshments on that table for 10 years. I get here early. This is my responsibility in my ministry. And if I'm not going to be consulted next time, the least that you could do would be just to make me aware of a decision that's already been made without me. And slammed the door and walked out. It's interesting I tell a story like that and some of you all start whispering to each other. That didn't happen in this church, but it sounds like you've met that person before. That person later came back and apologized for their behavior. They did the right thing. What I'm saying to you, friends, is this. When a Christian church is truly led by the Holy Spirit, there is no one who cannot contribute because willing obedience supersedes skill or talent. There is no fear of one another. I think we have this on a slide. If we can pull that up, please. There is no fear of one another because we trust each other. There is no competition with each other because we're not doing it for ego or control. We are devoted to Christ's mission, the common good, above all the other. The church is not just a volunteer organization that does nice things filled with polite people. It is the presence of God's Spirit in the world creating a movement of little Christs who serve the world with the same disposition, with the same multitude of gifts that Jesus Christ Himself did in the Gospels. It brings unity, it removes ego, and it lifts up Christ. And Paul wants to drive this message home. And later in this chapter, he'll, he'll go to a metaphor to talk about how do you do that? What does that look like? How can you have so many different gifts but yet complete unity? And so, Paul helps us understand gifts in the church by employing one of the most common metaphors in the New Testament to talk about church. The church as the body of Christ, with each part of the body possessing unique gifts. So, Paul lists some of those gifts. I want to look at just a few of them. Verses 8-14. through 14, A word of wisdom is given by the Spirit to one person, a word of knowledge to another according to the same Spirit, faith still to another in the same Spirit. Gifts of healing to another in the one spirit. Performance of miracles to another. Prophecy to another. The ability to tell spirits apart to another. Different kinds of tongues to another. And the interpretation of the tongues to another. All these things are produced by the one and same spirit who gives what he wants to each person. Christ is just like the human body. A body is a unit, has many parts, and all the parts of the body are one body, even though they are many. We were all baptized by one spirit into one body, whether Jew or Greek, slave or free, and we were all given one spirit to drink. Certainly the body isn't one part, but many. You can understand that metaphor. It's fairly straightforward, fairly simple. But in the Scriptures, never mistake simplicity for a lack of depth. All the parts of a body have a role and all the parts of the body really need to be healthy in order for the whole body to be healthy. After the Christmas season in 2014, I had begun my doctoral work that year and spent a lot more time late nights writing and reading and snacking while I was doing it. And after, between, you may not know this, but between Thanksgiving and Christmas, the primary way that most Christians show love for God is by bringing sweet 
foods to their pastor and dropping it off on his porch. And so we had had probably two dozen, you know, these are my grandmother's recipe. This is five gallons of fudge, you know, all this. And so I had taken my part of it and I stepped on the scale like January 1 of 2015. And I didn't recognize that first number. It had changed on me. And I told my wife, I actually said to her, I said, I'm going to quote your Nana. I remember her saying, why didn't you tell me that I was big as a side of a house? I was like, I got to make a change. So I got on a new kind of health kick. And for the next six months, I really began to watch what I was eating. Less sugar, less fat, more whole foods. I began to exercise about five days a week in the gym, light strength training. I was riding my bike. I was making sure I got at least 10,000 steps a day. I began to kind of watch and monitor my sleeping habits and make sure that I got at least seven plus hours a night. I even said to my wife, you know, I was like, you know, I'm kind of on this kick and I'm feeling so much better and I've got more energy and all that. We also need to make sure that we're, our friendships are in good order. We're, we're spending time with friends. That's a healthy part of a dynamic life. And I was feeling better than I had in a really, really long time. I'd lost about 15 pounds, even though she didn't notice it. And everything was great. But sometime that summer, I was sitting in my office, just like feeling some tightness over here. What is going on? 30 minutes, an hour goes by, I start feeling a little bit of my cheeks feeling warm, and starting to feel sore kind of up there inside my mouth. And I'm like, what? Something's going on. And then, you know, I began to kind of feel some throbbing and almost like feel my heartbeat. And I called my, my dentist. I said, okay, you know, I got something weird going on. I don't have an active, you know, kind of dental issue. But I, he's like, why don't you drop in? So I dropped in and said, well, I'm sorry to say, but you've got an infected and inflamed wisdom tooth, and it's going to have to come out. I can't take it out for you. You're going to have to go to an oral surgeon. So let me call one that I would recommend. We'll get you on the schedule. Well, they couldn't see me until three days after that. So just about around the clock, I was taking 800 milligrams of ibuprofen, and I would set that timer and watch it. You know, when can I take it again? It was miserable. I couldn't hardly work. I didn't sleep well. I couldn't eat well. And if I did, it was mostly like, you know, liquids and stuff. It was awful. That little wisdom tooth weighed much less than an ounce. And all the rest of my body had been very well taken care of for the last six months. And it was that one sick part that infected and hurt the overall well-being of my entire body. You begin to understand the depth and implications of the metaphor that Paul is using here. The church is a body of many members that are unified. And it's very important that all of those members remain healthy. And if they're not, they need to see the great physician who can help turn them back on a path toward health. The Apostle Paul's words to the church at Corinth about the church as a unique body, I believe, are words of encouragement to church at Ross Ridge in 2023. I don't think that's changed one bit. And what I want to say to you today, if you've not heard this before, I hope you'll consider it. Maybe you haven't heard it in a long time and you will reconsider it. Your life is as unique as a snowflake or a fingerprint. We were all born at a little bit different times and a little bit different places, maybe different cultures or countries. We all have different families that raised us, whether that was a mostly good thing or maybe not. We all have different educational tracks, different losses, different opportunities, different interests, and different personality traits. 
You may even have some things in your life that you think are big time negatives that you wish you didn't have them because what purpose would that serve? Let me assure you, friends, in God's hands, even our pain can become purposeful in the body of Christ. And there may be people in this world that your preacher could never ever reach with the light and love of Christ. They would have no connection to me. They would not respond to my words or interaction with Him. But maybe you could. And maybe that's one of the gifts you could bring to the body of Christ. Just imagine if Jesus could call 12 disciples and through them to begin a movement to change the world and we're the recipients and participants in it 20 centuries later. My goodness, what could God do with 300 people in Hoover, Alabama in 2023? That's why, as Jessica talked about in the announcement video, we every year as a church ask everybody to live out their discipleship by their five vows of membership. And we catalog all of the current and ongoing ministries of our church and invite everybody every year to pray because year to year it may change. How will you serve Christ and your neighbor through your prayers, presence, gift, service, and witness? Next Sunday, we'll ask everybody to come and to make that commitment. It'll be a celebration of discipleship. We've got some special things planned. It's going to be a great day of praise and worship and commitment for the coming year. But I want to recognize that this is only the ministries that are going on in our church right now. And about a month ago, I began to kind of get convicted by the Holy Spirit. What if somebody has a gift, a skill, or an interest that God might use that doesn't fit into one of our predetermined boxes? So we have something else that we're sharing for the first time today. We're going to try it. We have a congregational survey. This is an image of it. What we've done is we tried to capture the breadth of people's hobbies and personal interests and skills. Are you good at gardening? Do you have a passion for woodworking? Do you like to go to um, tailgate events at sports? Like, wh What are the things that you do that just bring you joy? They're not spiritual things inherently. They're just thing, ways that you like to spend your time. And it could be any number of things. It could be going on hikes or getting together to do craft work or art or making music or whatever that is. I want to invite you this week to visit rossbridge.church or you can pull out your phone right now if you'd like to scan that QR code. It takes about three minutes. And you just indicate the things that you like to do that you're good at. And we're just going to see if the Holy Spirit will start there and maybe bring about the ministry of Christ in creative and surprising ways in the coming year. It may even create connections between people in the church that share similar interests. There are a few things that bring a pastor and a staff at a church more joy than seeing someone in the church come alive with an area of commitment that just fills their heart and life. The first servant that I met like that at church at Ross Bridge when we were worshiping on the other end of the building, July 9th, 2017, was this man, Al Minoski. Al is the one receiving communion there in that image. Many of you may not know Al because um, after that picture was taken, not long after that, Al began to have some, some back problems and some other things that limited his ability to drive himself to our church all the way from over near the edge of Irondale. I met him on my first Sunday because Al was our communion steward. 
He showed up about an hour before the church service that day and walked in mild-mannered, friendly, and gentle. He introduced himself to me for the first time and said, I'm here early because it's my responsibility to prepare for communion. Now, I understand that you've asked for you and your wife to serve communion to the church on your first Sunday here. And I said, yes, sir, that's right. And he said, well, I'm going to go to the kitchen and get it ready. And so he went to the kitchen and very carefully set out those little hardtack Civil War era crackers on the plate. And then the tiny little plastic glasses, communion glass, filled them up one at a time very carefully. And then brought it all together and set it on the altar. Every time we had communion over the next year or so, Al would show up early and quietly, joyfully go about his work. But then when his health problems limited him, and then of course the weird pandemic of 2020, Al wasn't able really to participate in the life of the church on a weekly basis like he had in the past. And so we began to keep in touch with him through phone calls and cards. And I reached out once and said, Al, could I come maybe, I'd just like to catch up with you and see you. Could I meet you for coffee sometime? Are you a coffee drinker? He said, am I a coffee drinker? You meet me at the Starbucks on Montevallo Road and I'll be there. We'll meet this Tuesday or Wednesday at some time. And he was very excited about it, knew exactly where he wanted to meet. So I met him and we were just catching up. And I said, well, how are you feeling your days these days? What are you up to? And he said, well, you know, I still live at home with my son. My wife died a number of years ago. That was the hardest thing I've ever been through. But, he said, I, I learned of one of my neighbors down the street whose wife died about two years ago. And I remember what it was like for me. And so I reached out to him. And we meet here at this Starbucks every Wednesday at 10. He needs companionship. And because I've already been through that, it gives me an opportunity to be of some help to him. Do you remember when Jesus said, where two or three are gathered, there my spirit will be among them? We're at 2101 Grand Avenue meeting for church on Sunday. Al has started a new campus on Montevallo Road on Wednesdays at 10 at a Starbucks. Because that's a man who says, hmm, God, how might you use the life that I've lived to be a blessing and help and encouragement to others. I'm thankful for Al. There are many, many people in our church who serve without ego, who serve without control, who serve in a mutually blessing and beneficial way their fellow church members and those beyond these walls. Can you imagine what God might do this little congregation in 2024 if we followed in Al's footsteps and allowed the Spirit to come alive in us. So God, we're praying today that we would all think of ourselves as your disciples and that we might consider the unique gifts and skills, interests, hobbies, and history that we have that you might use today, this year, to make a difference in the life of someone for the sake of your kingdom. I thank you, God, for a healthy, loving, energetic, passionate, motivated congregation. This is your church. Use us the way that you will in the coming year for the common good, for your purposes, 
that the world may know your Son. Amen. The Church at Ross Bridge is located in Birmingham, Alabama, and helps people find abundant life in Jesus Christ. Thank you.